0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: When we were negotiating rents in January, corn's at $4, we were negotiating our rental rates on that price, uh, and flex leases, you know, they're gonna have an additional payment this year along with that rent we collected up front.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday yay here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Dawson Schmidt. Dawson, you are through what, two weeks of school now?
2: Yep, two weeks of school
0: so how's it going uh
2: it's going pretty good Uh, it's way more busy than what i would thought it what i thought it would be uh but you know two weeks done going into labor day weekend kind of ready for a little bit of a bit of a break before i get back into it so hopefully things aren't as crazy as they have been but you know there's a lot of stuff that always needs to be done and want to tackle that as early as possible that's
0: true well you're probably a good student so you are prioritizing things. You're probably good at time management. Maybe you're not slacking off your senior year of college. I personally didn't have classes on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, my senior year of college. And that was phenomenal because then I got to have a four day vacation, four day weekend.
2: That's true. And I would have a three day weekend, but obviously you know that I'm in the office with you on Fridays. So I'm still doing a little bit of stuff you know, throughout the entire week. So not quite having the whole senior effect, but not quite having senioritis per se either. Well,
0: that's good. Keep it up. Don't let it slip in quite yet. It's too early for that, but Dawson, it's not too early to talk about some ag news for today. You know, Hurricane Ida, we've been continuing to watch that story really closely here. And that's looking at continued IDA damage. We still don't have any sort of hard numbers. This is all preliminary stuff, still, but so far we've still seen a lot of areas without electricity. Hurricane Ida has closed about 250,000 schools across the state of Louisiana. And while ports are technically reopened, we really haven't seen a ton of traffic picking up in that area as of yet. So definitely continuing to see barge traffic they're impacted by this piece of news as well
2: Well, Delaney, that's something I've kind of been watching the news, not so much uh, just whenever I had time. But yeah, definitely a lot of damage that we keep seeing there and kind of waiting on seeing if the USDA will come out with some more reports on what they can do about it and helping farmers out. But kind of something I'm watching today is that export competition may be getting a little bit heavier for the the U.S. as Mexico just greenlighted UK to start exporting pork products to them. The update follows years of negotiations and inspections by the Mexican government. Mexico's National Department of Health, Safety, and Agriculture and Food Quality inspected numerous pork facilities across the UA in 2020. The department greenlighted four processing plants and four cold storage facilities in England and Wales. This comes as another success for UK and UK food and drink exports following successful successes in accessing UK beef in the US, UK poultry and beef and lamb to Japan and pork to Taiwan. So that's kind of an interesting update there that seeing how US, that's going to impact the US and kind of if we're going to have to bring in more quality that the Mexico that Mexico is more interested in than UK products.
0: I saw that headline come across as well. in Dawson, wait, I have to backtrack here. I lied to you. I do have one other piece of Hurricane Ida news I forgot to mention, and that was related to Secretary Vilsack. He spoke at a Farm Journal update virtual town hall meeting with host of Ag Day Clinton Griffiths and basically was asked a lot of questions related to Hurricane Ida and what the agency is doing to help farmers directly impacted by the storm and He said that, of course, they're still assessing damage and that he has been working closely with President Biden and the administration to try and figure out next steps, which could include potentially some subsidy or some sort of disaster aid package. But still too early to say, President Biden, of course, has made a major disaster declaration for the state of Louisiana and an emergency declaration for the state of Mississippi as well which begins the process of opening up some of these potential assistance in terms of either disaster loans or disaster payments. So, sounds like we're on the right steps there. I'm sure we will see some sort of disaster package put forth by Congress, uh, but it's going to come probably much after we see the damage finally assessed. But, you know, the other part, part of this, Dawson, is as you look at the storm's trajectory, we saw a lot of storms heading into the eastern portion of the United States but I don't I'm not a meteorologist so I don't know that these two things are related we're also seeing a lot of rain throughout here in Iowa here in the Corn Belt as I mentioned yesterday we saw the, nat- the national drought monitor reflected that widespread rainfall improvement so I don't know that that was caused by the hurricane but I feel like maybe it was I don't know there's a question mark there
2: Definitely. And I mean, I've been talking to my parents, I told Ashton about this, I think last week that they're just getting a lot of rain in northeast Iowa. We, I mean, we're seeing a lot of flooding going on, uh, livestock having to be rescued and a lot of, you know, people using horses to get through the water as well. And so that's just kind of an interesting sight that I've been seeing and coming from my neck of the woods. Uh, but something else that I'm watching here that kind of struck me as odd is that officials in North Dakota are investigating the deaths of a, of 50, 58 pregnant cows back in July in a pasture near Jamestown, North Dakota. Rancher Brian a- Amundsen described the deaths as peculiar, saying that he found dead cows that were grazing in the Arrowwood National Wildlife Refuge approximately 100 miles northwest of Fargo. He said that 80 cows in the pasture did survive and that an investigation was launched by the Stutzman County Sheriff's Department and the North Dakota Stockmen's Association. Sources said that they ruled out lightning because there hadn't been any thunderstorms in the last several months and they also ruled out anthrax as well. Uh, The farmer said that the death cause cost him about $100,000 for his cattle, so a big loss there for him that the surviving cows are going to be due to cab within the next two to ten weeks and so far the long-term effects of you know what that what caused that are still unknown.
0: Well Dawson, one thing that's not unknown is the price of farmland values. I don't know if you've seen this story. I mentioned it I think the other day on the podcast, but there was an 80 acre farm in Grundy County, Iowa that sold for a whopping twenty two thousand six hundred dollars. however, It does appear that this is continuing to be a trend in farmland values in general, so much so that Midwest farm values have surpassed their 2013-2014 highs, which of course at that point in time, commodity prices were sitting at some much higher higher levels than we're even sitting at now. But uh, Howard Halderman, president of Halderman Farm Management and Real Estate in Wabash, Indiana, said we haven't seen these kinds of farmland auction prices since The late 2013, early 2014 area. So it sounds like nationwide we're continuing to see acres bring forth some high prices, including the one I mentioned the other day on the podcast. There's also a farm in Tipton County, Indiana, that brought a whopping $14,467,000 per acre on a 615 acre farm. So we're seeing this happen pretty much nationwide. And it appears that the value of farmland is not topping out anytime soon.
2: Well, that's definitely something that I was watching as well. There's a lot of reports, you know, of. People having to pay a lot higher prices for farming. not a land. good time
0: to get into farming, that's for sure, if you're a young person trying to buy into the business.
2: Definitely not. And a few years ago, I did get the advice from someone I used to work with on a farm, you know, it's better to get in early than too late. And right now, I'd say it's too late.
0: I would agree with that. Uh-huh. A hundred percent, Dawson.
2: But that is all I am watching for today, Delaney. How about you?
0: I think I am out of news as well, other than we did have a fresh announcement today of 130,000 tons of soybeans headed to China. That definitely added a little pep in the step today for the soybean markets, not so much for the corn markets. We saw December corn close a penny and a half today lower to end at 524 November soybeans down 8 and 3/4 cents to close at 12.92 on the nose. Chicago wheat today 9 and a quarter cent higher in the December contract to end the day out at 7.26 and a quarter and hopping over into the livestock pits today we saw weakness again today in the cattle complex. The October contract down a dollar 25 to close at 124.80 the D down a dollar and a half to close at 130.92 and a half. And hopping over into the feeder cattle markets, the October contract shed $2.57 and a half at 162.47 and a half. The November down $2.45 to end at 165.27 and a half. Now, looking in the lean hog markets, we continue to see that mixed trade further on out into 2022. We're starting to see some positive movement there. However, in the front month contracts, we are still seeing weakness with the October contract down 27.5 cents to close at 89.57.5. The D's down 22.5 cents to close at 82.10. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures October up 2 cents today to close at 16.83. The November down 7 cents to close at 17.04. Now, Dawson, today, I think it's very timely that we're talking about this last piece of land news because we're sharing a quick presentation here from People's Companies Big Questions in Land Management Seminar.
3: With that, we're going to move on to uh, our next presenter, and uh, he is one of our own here at people's company and his name is Peter Isaacson and Peter joined our company back in 2018 and he focuses on land as an asset management and does it through the upper Midwest. Uh, Peter is well versed in utilizing multiple forms of land leasing arrangements, as well as custom farming, organic farming and doing complex leasing structures to maximize value for both operators and uh, non-resident landowners. So. uh, Peter's background and passion for production, agriculture, and conservation make him an important member to the land management team and a great resource uh, for landowners and the clients that he serves. So with that, uh, Peter, I'm going to turn it over to you.
1: All right. So Dustin, uh, Dustin teed me up pretty good for this. Uh, I'll keep my market update short as far as my goes. Um, But today we're going to talk about cash rental rates. uh, What's currently driving the market? Um, leasing alternatives and selecting the right farm operator for your farm, uh, using data to make decisions, determining a fair uh, value cash rental rate, and what landowners can expect to see for 2022 farm leases. And then we're gonna talk about a little bit about uh, leading harvest. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of leading harvest, um, but what does the certification entail? What does it mean for your farm? Why should you care? And uh, how, how can your farm become certified under leading harvest? So that will jump right into the markets. Um, so, you know, the prices we're seeing today have a lot to do with uh, 2020. You know, we had a dry year in Brazil. Uh, we had some drought in the Midwest. And a year ago today, we had the derecho. Um, 2021, the upper Midwest is, is struggling with drought. You know, 71% of Iowa is currently in at least a D1 drought. Um, So we're kind of living rain to rain right now. Uh, Decreased supply and increased demand for fiscal year 2021. Um, Corn exports from 2020 to 2021 are expected to increase 23%. uh, And a lot of that's going to China to feed their recovering hog population. And then a low river system in Brazil that's really keeping a lot of their grain trapped. Um, So, you know, U.S. exports are, are really taking over. Um, and a lot of our corns going over there. So um, when we talk about farmland leasing, you know, a lot of people think of a fixed cash rent lease, which are great, we see a lot of them in the Midwest, uh, but there's other options out there. And you can see on the uh, right-hand side, the, the risk spectrum associated with these leases and, and the highest risk, but right now the highest reward would be custom farming. Um, the landowner pays for 100% of the inputs, hires a local operator to plant, spray, and combine, and the landowner sells that crop and they take all the proceeds. So those do really great in an environment like this, uh, but carry a lot of risk. Second one's a crop share lease. Um, these used to be pretty common in Iowa. We're, we're kind of seeing them fade away a little bit, making room for fixed cash rent leases. But in this scenario, um, the landowner provides the land, Local operator provides labor and equipment and expenses are typically shared and so is income. Uh, There's a lot of different breakdowns you can do with that. You can do 50-50, 40-60, 80-20. So it really comes down to crop types and and where you're located and what you wanna do with your operator. Um, And then something we're really seeing take take a lot of steam is a flexible cash rent lease. Uh, So these are popular, work really well uh, in a year like this. Where the landowner takes a base rent. Um, they're guaranteed that at the beginning of the year. And then, based off their price and yield, sometimes there's a revenue trigger price. And uh, when, when your gross revenue per acre exceeds that trigger price, there's a percentage uh, that's paid out to the landowner following harvest. So, really like those. Um, you know, when we were negotiating rents in January, corn's at $4, we were negotiating our rental rates on that price. Uh, And flex leases, you know, they're going to have an additional payment this year along with that rent we collected up front. And then the last one, uh, most people are probably familiar with this one, but fixed cash rent lease operator makes all decisions. They get all the crop. uh, Landowner collects their rent up front. And that, um, you know, pretty hands off, pretty low risk, uh, very common. So something that we don't talk about a lot, but is really important is selecting the right farm operator. Um, And this is really what we look at at people's company. You know, when we're going out there looking for a new operator, um, these are the things we're looking for. And we want somebody who's willing to share input and production data. So we want to know what they're doing for fertility, what they're doing for management, what their yields are. And that's going to kind of help us gauge that farm um, ability to meet and execute on the goals of landowner along with shared vision of preferred production practices. Uh, if you want your farm to be farmed no-tilled and your operator hates no-till, that's probably not going to be a good relationship. So you guys need to have a shared vision um, and really be on the same page. Financially solvent, um, pretty simple one. You know, if they've got a, a lease payment of $100,000, you want to make sure they can pay that payment um, timeliness of operations you know if they're planting early uh they're combining on time all that sort of stuff that's really going to lean into profitability and just you know making sure that things are being done right on that farm uh trustworthy and honest you know if you're in a crop share custom agreement can't express this enough you know you want to trust that guy if you're sitting down at the kitchen table negotiating rent you want to trust that person across the table from you um, and then responsiveness when contacted. You don't want an operator. It takes two weeks to get back to you. Uh, you want to be able to have a transparent relationship with them and and be able to contact them whenever you want. And then openness to signing a written lease. Um, you know, we, we think a written lease is almost mandatory at people's company um, just because it eliminates any confusion. It outlines everything in writing. And um, if there's a question, you can refer back to the lease, and and you can answer it pretty simply. So, when it comes to determining uh, fair market cash rent, uh, there's a lot of things we look at. A lot of times, we start with the county average, and then we look at your farm specifically. So, do you have above average soil types, below average, above average yields, below average um, farmability? You know, if the average farm in your county is a flat square one sixty and your farm's five different fields that equal 100 acres, um, it's probably not going to be as worth as much as a flat square 160 just from a farmability standpoint. And then farm improvement or outstanding characteristics. This could be pattern tile drainage. This could be a hog confinement on the property. This could be a manure easement, uh, things like that. Then we're looking a little deeper into production history, fertility records on that farm. So if it's got average soils but uh, above average yields, Um, That's something to take into consideration or or really high fertility then crop types and production practices. Um, You know, certain crops and production practices such as uh, organic will fetch higher premiums in the marketplace, higher gross revenue, higher rent. Um, And then input costs, you know, Dustin mentioned it. We're really watching input costs this year. Um, prices are up, but everything else is following. Seed, chemical fertility, uh, land values, rents, those are all going up too. So you, you want your operator to make money, make commodity prices. You know it's kind of important to just because they're going up right now, you know which way are they moving? How long can they stay there? Are they stable and are they sustainable? And is the same thing can the same thing be said about your rental rate? Um, is it sustainable if markets move back down? So that's those are really the things we're looking at when we're determining rent, um, and then just kind of a five hundred foot view as we uh, terminate leases and go into to renegotiating corn since the fall 2019 is up over fifty percent, soybeans are up sixty two percent, ISU rental rates are up four point five percent as of May twenty twenty one. This is probably a pretty good lag. Uh, you know, if we were to redo that survey today. On what guys are negotiating for 2022, I think we're going to be in a 15 to 25 percent increase that might not be recognized on the ISU survey, uh, but we'll see. And so far, 2022 is looking to be a pretty profitable year for farmers already. Um, despite you know, you'll have to keep an eye on inputs and that sort of thing. But um, futures price for board uh, 22 is for corn is 516 and soybeans are 1251 so there's some marketing opportunities there um, you obviously have to account for basis which is you know going to vary where you're at in the state but um, you know there's there's profitable marketing marketing opportunities at this point then we'll jump into leading harvest um, so you know sustainability huge buzzword right now if you corner somebody and ask them what it means you're probably going to get a different answer from every person you talk to so um, leading harvest is is a Coalition of Environmental Organizations um, and companies that manage, operate, and invest in farmland. And this is a pretty broad sustainability initiative that can be implemented over different regions, crop types, um, and even continents. So it's open, it's living, it's adaptable, um, and it it uses... Um, these 13 principles. And this is really what the, the standard is based off of. And it's everything from sustainable agriculture, conservation, air quality, to local communities, how you're using your farm labor, um, you know, government compliance, that sort of thing. So when, when you ask how Leading Harvest defines sustainability, you can look at these 13 principles and back that into your farm and your operation. Um, As far as what leading harvest means to landowners, I kind of look at it as a Carfax report for your farm. You know, if if you're a land buyer and you're going to buy a farm, you know exactly what's been done to that farm, how it's been managed, who's managed it, all that sort of thing. It's kind of a full scale, um, you know, record keeping system and a set of parameters that that farm is managed under Um, It addresses unique needs, regardless of crop types and regions, like I say, it can be implemented over a broad region or continent, Um, buyer assurance through the transactional process, just because you know what's been done on that farm um, and how it's been taken care of, Uh, continuous framework for improvement. Um, It's a living standard. It's always, we're always working on it, uh, making it better and, and applying it to that farm. Um, preservation and improvement of resources for future generations. You know, population's not getting any smaller. We need more ground. We need to be productive. We're not making any more ground. You know, we need to maximize production on what we have in a sustainable way. Um, And then the management auditing reporting um, handled by leading harvest certified vendors. So, you know, there's that fact checking, checking aspect to it. And then one we're kind of excited about is potential for marketplace premiums. Um, as end users and processors are really looking to source sustainable products. And uh, this kind of gives it a backing and um, identifies what what sustainable is. Um, As far as having your farm uh, managed under leading harvest, People's Company is the only private management company in the United States offering leading harvest certification to landowners. Um, and all of our acres for 2021 are enrolled in the standard. So if your farm is actively being managed by us, um, it is currently enrolled and being managed under those 13 principles we talked about a few slides back. Um, so you know, if if leading harvest is something you think is right for your farm, we're the company to get in touch with right now um, and we can we can carry out that. Um, and then an overview, you know, 2021, 2022 commodity prices are pretty favorable right now for producers. Um, you know, we've got some supply concerns. We've got low ending stocks from last year. We've got drought that's kind of deteriorating some crop in the upper Midwest. Um, you know, we're expecting to see input costs, rise: right? Seed, fertilizer, chemical, that sort of thing. So you're going to have to keep an eye on that cost of production when you're negotiating rent as well. Um, But, you know, like I say, 500 foot view, 15 to 25 percent It's going to be very farm specific, but um, that could be a general rule of thumb. Know your operator, get leases in writing. If there's anything specific or out of the standard characteristics of a farm lease, outline it in the lease. Then you've got a signature on it. Everybody knows their obligations. And highest rent isn't always the best rent. You know, years like this, everybody can pay high rent, but just because it's the highest doesn't mean it's the best. Um, just because they can pay it doesn't mean they should. And sometimes those guys paying the highest rent are cutting corners a little bit. Um, and you just gotta make sure it's equitable for everybody. And leading harvest, you know, people's companies, a premier management company to offer it to landowners in the U.S., um, buyer landowner peace of mind, uh, throughout owning or buying a piece of ground. You know what's being, being done on it, uh, how it's being handled flexible standard that can be applied globally that's huge um, as as the industry looks for something to latch on to it's got to be adaptable uh, and this standard is and then the opportunity for market premiums when selling farmland or crops you know i think that um, that that's down the road but on the way and then we've already got two thousand acres committed or the standard does with 50 organizations um, consulted to develop the standard so it's not narrow um hallway type approach a lot of thought went into it. a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives uh that helped to develop the standard so it really can be can be suited anywhere but um that's all i have and if you have questions leave them down in the comments and uh I look forward to hearing hearing the other speaker today so thank you for your time and uh look forward to hearing from you
0: Well, again, that was a People's Company seminar there talking about overall trends we see in land management. And I think it's just interesting. I know your mom works in the farm management sector. Is that right, Dawson?
2: She works for a big company that farms corn and soybeans in northeast Iowa So, yes. Yeah.
0: So it's just interesting to see how the trend is maybe moving towards that model as a whole. For sure. But Dawson, folks can catch up on any of our past episodes of Ag News Daily as we head into a three-day weekend here. Folks, you can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and catch up on any past episodes you might have missed. We had some really good ones this week, so find us at agnewsdaily.com. Dawson, with that, should we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.